0: mm Hi everyone, this is Helena, and you're listening to We're Boundaries to Solve, a podcast that highlights inspiring change agents that have had a strong impact on cultural or organizational change in the companies that they work for or in society. Today, you're tuning into my conversation with Irina Coit. Um, Irina graduated summa cum laude from her computer science PhD program and also graduated with honors from her computer science master's program. After working in academia, she decided to switch to the business side of things Um, This is where we met, we met working at Siemens on the software products team and I met her while she was leading the co-creation of a new smart software product. Uh, This product was developed um, applying uh, agile and customer-centric uh, approaches that really differed from the traditional approaches that you can find in the company. And this caused a lot of friction, as you can imagine. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just remember being on the software products team and feeling like we were kind of the new play- kids on the block and had to prove ourselves. So yes, I'm very excited about um, speak. I was very excited about speaking to her about her experiences so that we could deep dive on her on her views and uh, the challenges that she uh, that she faced because uh, Irina is someone that I truly respect. I admire her authenticity and the courage that she brings to work into her interactions. I find her leadership style and how she drives change very inspiring and honest. Plus, she just combines a stellar academic background with a good sense of business and tech, which is pretty cool. So, uh, without further ado. Uh, i'm happy to share this conversation with you i hope you enjoy it here you go how did your journey start with that new novice product to the organization called dc hub which is um, a software product and when you first joined siemens so how how did that all start how did your Mm. journey start
1: indeed it was um maybe the first um Visible, very visible and impactful product. Uh, I had a chance to work on at Siemens. Mm-hmm. It was actually not the first one, which very few people know. Ah, um, no, I didn't. So, um, my very first uh, baby product at Siemens was uh, an internal uh, an efficiency tool for our, um, um, experts that work in life science. Okay. Yeah. Um, It also made it out, we released it, and uh, one of my colleagues uh, follows up on uh, leading it. Okay, Um, And um, data center hub was basically a product that I started working on, I would say a few months after I started at Siemens. Uh, For a while I was running the two products in parallel, Mm -hmm. but then I dedicated my full energy uh, to the hub. Mm -hmm. Um, The journey started um, with a need from our customers as I learned it um, even in my interview with uh, with my manager, yeah. that there was a need to provide data transparency and um, some really at least basic analytics mm-hmm. to uh, building users be that um, you and me working in an office or really specialized uh, roles like uh, an IT manager in a data center. Mm-hmm. So we started uh, looking into our different markets, we started uh, prioritizing where we need to go, we got some advice also from um, the more experienced in the company and um, basically we decided to focus on data centers. Mm-hmm. And that's where the journey started. Um, first drawing with one of my uh, colleagues uh, on paper, what we wanted to build, mm-hmm. and um, kind of putting my our initial thoughts uh, in some sort of ugly drawing, and uh, evolving it from there. So that's where, where the co-creation and the design thinking process started. Um, we evolved this paper into a clickable prototype, uh, which we then iterated um, again and again with the customers. We did customer interviews around the world, uh 14 in total um it was it was an amazing journey to Mm. to get to know them so closely they ranged from 45 minutes discussions on um some online tool with australian customers uh, all the way to full on-site visits doing a bit of an ethnographic study following them seeing exactly what they touch in the data center what they do every day
0: Mm. how did you um i mean it's quite i I think when you when you uh, come with this kind of process into an organization that is used to having uh just working really strongly for a long time on the technicals and then only showing it Mm kind of to to even like our regions um, when it's got, when it's certain, already reached a certain maturity and development. Right. How did you, how, how did you encounter that showing up with, I want to say, quote unquote, only, um, uh, a, a mock-up or mm. a paper drawing? Did you face resistance then or were you... what do you think?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. No, certainly, certainly. And, and, um, when I joined Siemens, I found a really, um, amazing experts around Mm -hmm. but i have to say i didn't fall in love with the way um products were invented yeah because um i i realized coming from the software industry where things are a lot fast uh, faster faster paced Mm -hmm. um coming to the building domain we always had that kind of um, fear to show something that is unfinished to customers Mm -hmm. so no thinking of a b testing alpha beta testing and so on we had to have something very very strong and stable to have the courage to take it in front of customers so the very first milestone was to convince our uh, our colleagues from the sales organization to open the door to customers Mm -hmm. to convince those customers to talk to us even if we do not have a price tag even Mm -hmm. if we do not have a product really Mm -hmm. so we had we had the prototype with a lot of um very feasible but also some crazy ideas in it Mm -hmm. which we wanted to basically um, develop together with our customers so um i had great support from my manager who gave uh, me and other colleagues the freedom Mm -hmm. to run it this way Mm -hmm. Um, that was certainly a great asset to the whole journey Mm -hmm. um, but it was extremely difficult to convince uh, our organization to to break this wall between the customers and us and um, we succeeded for the most part. We didn't with uh, some uh, particular countries w- which were very conservative. Mm-hmm. We just didn't make it. And mm-hmm. uh, we had to admit the fact that uh, maybe the the mindset is not there and we need to educate them some more. Mm-hmm.
0: Did your approach to getting that sales buy-in change from the first conversation towards later conversations where we you're like okay this is how we're gonna approach oh yeah it.
1: yeah how did you- we, we learned quite a lot along the way so mm-hmm. at first i was very naive i would say and and i really thought yeah we're gonna talk to these guys we're gonna show them maybe a five minutes demo on mm-hmm. my screen and mm-hmm. uh, they're gonna buy in and go talk to their customers and mm-hmm. it was not at all that way yeah. so then we started also providing some um, i don't know very basic advertising materials to them Mm. so we had uh, some screenshots we had uh, some uh, lists of uh, possible functionalities Mm -hmm. Uh, we still stayed totally away from providing an indication on the price Mm -hmm. because we really try to educate them that we are only going to know the price in a value-based way when we know what functionalities make it into the product so um we prepared i mean it was very basic stuff we didn't work with professionals for that it was basically just uh, some of us here uh -hmm. in in the team putting those together but Mm -hmm. that already helped quite a
0: bit so basically kind of already giving sales i guess a type of product experience
1: yeah in a way yeah so selling our product to the sales organization so that they feel empowered to sell it to to their customers and Mm -hmm. we also build um, a sort of profile for the uh, type of customers we were looking for because certainly we wanted somebody who's very open to innovation, very um, interested in uh, Mm co-creating with Siemens, who's uh, maybe already a friendly partner uh, Mm -hmm. with Siemens. Mm -hmm. So um, this also helped them get the comfort to open those doors. Mm Yeah, so that they knew how to how to approach exactly what to say and how exactly. to get them. Yeah. yeah. And and I have to say also, we told them this is going to be free if they get involved with us. Mm-hmm. So of course, the interviews were interviews. They gave us some time. Mm-hmm. But um, during the interviews, we proposed to our customers to also um, engage themselves in this co-creation process, meaning they start using the product when only the very first functionalities are there. And then we build it, we evolve it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would get that for free, and they would um, even get um, um, insights in, and, and a lot of influence into how the product is built. Yeah. So yeah. we delivered on that promise. Um, in the end, uh, we allowed the customers to talk to our development teams uh, basically every other week. Uh, we had the, the customer calling. Mm-hmm. We were alternating between two such pilots, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they were happy. They Got their hands-on on the product uh, from the very beginning and we were very happy to have the customers on board of course mm-hmm. so we, we found this kind of win-win approach which really worked
0: and i guess it also requires a certain type of mindset from a customer point of view oh, too yeah. if you're going to go and do something novice as, as this was
1: yeah I, I think there are several ingredients that played in um we had great support from uh, some of our sales colleagues that really uh, maintained and helped us maintain this relationship with mm-hmm. the customers. They also joined us from the beginning in, um, in these meetings. Mm-hmm. That was one ingredient. Um, a second ingredient was um, finding the right customers. Mm-hmm. So um, they were already um, Siemens customers. They had, for instance, our building management systems. Uh, they, they had some infrastructure already from us. Um, they were happy with the relationship and um, all we did was basically extend that relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, they were very interested in learning themselves how products are built. And um, mm-hmm. on, on at the same time, Siemens is a big brand that helped as well and um, they used it to advertise themselves in the, their own companies. So basically also even tell their customers, we are working with Siemens on a new product. Um, with this kind of value proposition uh, they advertise this to their management so um in, in the end uh, as i said i think it was really a win mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so really
0: them able to to use this also to kind of like promote that they're being like proactive Absolutely. and forward thinking and, exactly. and digital and yeah exactly yeah. oh really
1: cool yeah so it's not just the the, the price tag in the end they didn't know the price tag at the beginning yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they just didn't know that and um they, they are uh, so the, the customers that we ended up co-creating with are our customers right now um as well as others that were involved in the initial 14 interviews with mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and maybe to add one more ingredient to to the list um i would say we get, got great support from the legal team at Siemens as well, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Um, I was so afraid that uh, we will need a legal framework, of course, to run these uh, pilots. And um, I was so afraid of these very extensive legal contracts that yeah. normally we know. and. Um, this is where we got great support. We ended up with a really um, lightweight, four pages uh, legal framework mm-hmm. that um, our customers could sign easily without any lawyer support, or I mean, they could really understand it. I think what's good about our legal
0: framework also is it manages expectations. It Absolutely. forces you to have the hard co- talks in the beginning and say, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. You know, don't oversell. Yeah. Because, yeah. It's I mean, it it, it, it,
1: it, was extremely important because, of course, we are all very modern and, uh, you know, we all talk about the buzzwords like design thinking and co-creation, yeah. but, um, we cannot fail quality-wise as Siemens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, also we have to deliver on our expectations to our customers. Mm-hmm. And such a framework also ensure that we, um, deliver what we promise but also the customer delivers what they promise in mm-hmm. this game mm-hmm. so in this in this case it was basically continuous engagement with us it was continuous feedback engagement directly with our r&d uh, team and product management portfolio and um i, I think that was really crucial mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then <laughs> the deal we had with the sales with the uh, legal was that uh, it has to be easy enough for me to understand i'm a computer scientist and if i don't understand that contract it's mm. not lightweight enough yeah and we go to that point and i'm, I'm really happy that's nice It worked yeah
0: so can we talk about mm-hmm. more about the the framework you were uh, in mm-hmm. like uh, working in because um <clears throat> i think i'm not quite sure when agile when we introduced agile and uh into the organization but I have a feeling that you were probably one of the first correct me if i'm wrong well your products was one of the first to go through this to through this pro- uh, process you know whereas yeah. other products have been developed from a, as a waterfall kind of process point of view
1: well that's a very very um, long journey so to say mm-hmm. i don't think there is a cut point in time when we say okay before that we were not agile and from that point okay. on we were agile mm-hmm. so uh when i joined the organization there were already uh, a few teams that were running agile processes like scrum mm-hmm. so having bi-weekly sprints and you know having a clear backlog and so on um of course for a big organization like ours it takes a while to actually have the agile not only in theory but also lived truly yeah. Uh, yeah. every day so w- what we ensured here was that as far as we could we we made it to be lived in the real sense so um and and i have to say i was uh, yes promoting it and i was driving this certainly with the two teams we had 20 people working on this uh, in total but um at the same time the organization was changing itself a lot, mm-hmm. which was an advantage. So I wouldn't say I drove that. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. part of it. And of course, I I was very much promoting it. But also, um, our management provided a lot of support on that. Yeah,
0: I think that's important. So it's when
1: we adopted this uh, SAFE framework, this scaled Agile framework, that happened roughly at the same time. Um, and uh, we integrated our teams together in the bigger uh, picture of these release trains and so on. So th- I think that that really helped everything that we were doing anyhow. Mm-hmm.
0: So when, when you say to
1: truly live agile
0: versus mm. when you don't live agile, what does that mean on a daily basis for, I don't know, the, a product manager or someone who leads product management mm. and someone, a software developer? What does that mean to truly think agile? What kind of like things do you need to change on a daily basis? Or mm. if you came into organization, you'd be like, okay, these, this needs to change if we truly really want to live.
1: Well, what we, uh, what we always um did our best to ensure in in the big teams that uh, were were working on this product was that we always listened to the customer. So um, we were having these weekly calls with our customers uh, where um, weekly, Weekly. Yeah. So uh, we had two customers. So we were alternating. Everybody was talking to us biweekly. So every week, our R and D product management, uh, rollout management um, had the opportunity to hear the customer. So of course, we had a backlog and we had priorities and uh, so on. These were done by product management um, and um, in collaboration with our regional counterparts. But um, whenever the customer was coming and giving direct feedback on certain functionalities that had been deployed to them, we were ready to change these priorities in the backlog. And we were ready to embrace the new ideas. And they were always made it into our backlog again. So this kind of continuous iteration there and um, using the back backlog as a general frame but uh, listening uh, actively to the customer and changing along the way based on that uh, direct feedback Mm -hmm. I think that's a hugely important asset of agile and Mm -hmm. it's something that we we really lived Mm -hmm. in this product I see so that's um, and and allowing our customers to be that voice that dictates those priorities because there is um, so much political movement in a large organization in any large organization and uh, a lot of um, influences on what different portfolios should do Mm -hmm. so always um keeping documentation at the minimum having good quality documentation Mm -hmm. but prioritizing always uh, i think that was really really the key
0: and you mentioned uh, the political forces that you deal with in such a large organization, which is mm. inevitable. Um, how did you, like, what were the, the, the how should I say, the, I don't want to call it resistance, but like the <laughs> challenges that you faced? Because maybe it was not just resistance, maybe it was just also, you know, a challenge coming from another direction other than resistance. That's true.
1: I have to say I faced it a lot at the beginning, and then again a lot at the end. Hmm. So at the beginning, um, the biggest challenge was um, basically this resistance of our organization to accept that we would start something really new and we are not building these ideas, these new functionalities on top of existing portfolio. So we had already successful running products and the biggest challenge um, that I got from many of our colleagues was um, that really we shouldn't do something from scratch. We should just build this on top of our legacy. and. Um, I went through some initial assessment uh, of our legacy products. I went through trainings to understand what they are and how they work. And for me, it was a no-go. It was a no-go from a technical perspective because I didn't feel that the, you know, the architecture, the data models, the um, uh, even the UI frameworks they were using were, were not up to what we wanted to deliver with this product. And I had a feeling that it's maybe not this product. It's a bigger change that we can trigger by doing something very differently, um, talking about Native cloud and you know, basically benefiting of all the state-of-the-art technology and um, That resistance was very high at the beginning um, And did you feel like you needed
0: to fight that or did you feel like no? I don't I don't like have to
1: I tried to fight it yeah. at the beginning to be yeah. honest um, and I try to Come up with um, real fact based arguments. Why we need to do this It worked to some extent, but it um, I also learned that you cannot convince everybody. So yeah. some uh, some of this is not really fact based uh, discussion anymore. It's very emotional. It's based on um, the experience of people having worked on legacy products for I don't know maybe all their career. And um, I come from nowhere, <laughs> very new and young and all in a company. And uh, I tell them that I want to do things differently. So I realized that in this kind of circumstances, it it's important to bring the facts on the table, because I am a very facts-oriented person. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, sometimes you need to learn to ignore. And yeah. that's that's basically what, maybe it sounds very negative, and I don't want to offend anyone with this, but basically I had to ignore some of these opinions, um, and we, um, we went into development. We updated whoever was interested. We didn't run it as a, um, I don't know, submarine. It was public, everything. But um, I did. I try not to run into those fights. Mm-hmm. So. so some people didn't like what we were doing but it's okay you Mm -hmm. cannot make everybody happy Mm
0: -hmm. so pick your fights being able to know which ones are worth fighting pretty much and find your supporters and then have them help you navigate i mean
1: i I totally learned that the hard way because i had been in other big companies before but not in this kind of um, decision-making roles Um, and uh, i was facing this for the first time in my career Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it was not easy but it was really fun Mm -hmm. it was really um exciting because i Could see that progress we were making as a team and um, then uh, this kind of surfaced again towards the end when uh, uh, they started feeling again that we are threatening some other parts of our portfolio because there is the new kid on the block actually oh my god that became a product we didn't think it would become a product so where what are we doing with this now where are we positioning all this so um but i have to say this this final um discussions were easier than the very beginning ones and were the, those the same people in to the some beginning extent.
0: oh really interesting
1: yeah. to some extent yeah and
0: were you able to like i say convert people that were kind of against to kind of were you able to convert I wouldn't them to say against
1: you know they were not against this. me or against the mm-hmm. product they they just couldn't understand why uh, or they saw this as reinventing the wheel they didn't see it as a change that our yeah or as a change that our organization needed to go through so um if i if i look back um you know the product okay was launched but it's going to uh, we are currently integrating its functionalities into another offering that's going to go to the market so it's not going to be a product that's going to change the world in that sense and you know be uh, microsoft windows living on and on for decades but it's about the change that it triggered in the company and the fact that we managed to prove that we can have a totally new type of um, technical development, a totally new type of team spirit and engagement with customers, a, new ta- total, a totally new type of business model. It was the first uh, software as a service offering um, we put on the market. So um, all that kind of transformations that we caused through one single tiny product, I think um, gave big lessons to all of us. Mm -hmm. So if I look back, that's the thing I'm most proud of. It's not necessarily the, you know, the name or the product or a little video that we put online and we advertised that Mm -hmm. we launched. I think it's
0: really crucial. And I would say I think I'd I'd struggle with that if I'd been in your position was to detach uh the criticism or the resistance um that to detach it from personal like you know not seeing it as something Mm. that's personal but that's something it's in general towards what's what's happening and maybe a threat to to Mm. their existence or to what they're working on you know i mean these yeah. new products always raise new questions as to, oh, why haven't we been doing this? Or why haven't, hasn't this happened? Or why has. Yeah, we tried you, it and it we failed
1: actually 10 years ago. Why would you do it again now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, I heard that quite a bit and um, it hurts to some extent. It hurts on a personal level because mm. uh, I think we as human beings are natively made in a way to please the others. You know, we're we not made yeah. to have conflicts with others, or at least women. <laughs> maybe we have it to a stronger <laughs> degree <laughs> yeah um, but at the same time you know when, when I was thinking where my career should take me after my PhD I knew I wanted a big company and I wanted a big company to make a big impact and it was a very conscious decision not to go to mm-hmm. a startup where maybe it would have been easier lighter processes maybe fewer people to influence or convince mm-hmm. right I knew I was getting myself into that um, and I embraced it as a challenge Um, and it's still a challenge I'm living with every day even in my current job and I mean it's never over but I think it's it's exactly that kind of challenge that you face when you want to make that big change Mm -hmm. so so how would you
0: how would you approach the changes that you know you're going to face today with this experience that you went through as a product like is there something you're like okay right you know when you've done something before you say okay in the future this and this and this I'm going to do first to better prepare myself or wh- whatever it is yeah. is there some things that you can like n- state and say yeah this definitely I'll, I'll do and carry into this new, new position
1: well it was quite a journey so it's what almost four years um, I've been with Siemens now and certainly uh, it's a place that taught me so much um, one of the things i learned maybe is this kind of detachment um, which is uh, not to be confused with uh, a lack of passion so the passion is certainly there uh, but it's a way to manage to go home and not think of what was said by whom and it kind of trying to stick it to the professional context and um, maybe that's just a sort of personal philosophy i have but I think everybody has their reasons for reacting in certain ways, even if they are mean or angry or whatever. So I try to find these people excuses for that. And that makes my life a lot easier because I know that they, they are not doing that just to be mean mm-hmm. in any way. They are doing it because there is something that drives them to do it. So um, that's a sort of, um, I don't mm-hmm. know, a way to protect myself. <laughs> and a
0: better and healthier view to, to view things
1: yeah you know i'm a turtle and that's my cover (laughs) that's my shell so um that's one thing that i learned um i think i learned to be a bit more diplomatic than at the beginning and uh, uh, in what sense a little bit less naive in a way uh i i learned that egos do count and egos are very important Mm -hmm. and um everybody has it myself included Mm -hmm. so um I I think I learned to be a bit more respectful to that which maybe I lacked at the beginning
0: okay so okay can can you elaborate on that because like if you consider ego in my case I would just be like okay we have egos here we need to address what's really going on be like very honest and authentic Mm -hmm. about what's going on try to address it that way is that what you're saying like just try to state the obvious and then Like, okay,
1: how can we create a win-win situation? Well, in general, I think I'm a very, or I'm trying always to be a very transparent person about what I do and what I think. And that's just part of my values and it's not something I would ever change. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I try to uh, empower the people around me to to become that transparent as well. Because for me, when I can understand the reasoning behind things, the reasoning behind their egos or the way they do things, that's a lot easier for me to manage so um in general uh, trying to build this trust with my stakeholders to um, allow them to open up so i can understand the reasoning behind uh, their work or their decisions um i i think that really helps a lot and that's something i learned to more consciously do and not just by intuition whenever it comes so i it's something that i i I think i learned to trigger more consciously when needed so
0: be by being transparent towards others how you feel and what your actions intentions are yes and give them the comfort and give them the
1: comfort to do the same on on the other side that helps me a lot to to understand the context usually yeah i think that's really important and and in general i mean this can this can be a conversation or it can be um me flying over to uh, their office and sitting together with their people and really understand what they do every day look at their tools look at their processes and so on mm-hmm. so i i did that i had the chance to do that with uh, a few of our colleagues and it's invaluable i can
0: i guess people because people get really it evokes a feeling of i'm heard i'm seen i'm taken yeah. seriously yeah and i will be considered in Correct. future actions
1: and yeah. yeah yeah maybe other things you asked me what what I learned and mm-hmm. what i would like to push mm-hmm. forward um i learned the power of what it, what the power of a team means and um i have mm-hmm. to say i was so blessed to have two amazing teams to work with um that uh, became so motivated and, and really driving forces for everything we were doing and i, I really saw this i acknowledge this um mm-hmm. every day how they try to empower to help each other and so on um, even when the going gets tough and there is pressure. So I learned that it's so worth putting the effort into bringing the team there. Mm-hmm. And um, at the moment, we are not there yet with my current team. Um, so we have um, a lot of different uh, um, forces coming from all parts of the world. They, they are really, really smart people, but I cannot say we are that team yet. Mm-hmm. So it's something that, um, I would love to see us becoming in the next months. Um, and uh, it's something that really motivates me. I, I know what the team can do and what that power is. We certainly cannot do anything alone, uh, especially in this kind of complex uh, co- context that we have at Siemens. Um, and um, it's really, really really worth putting that effort into building that. I love that. I love
0: that. that uh, I think that's just great when, when people can say, You can't do things by yourself, especially if things get very complex, like having that attitude that we are, you know, much more powerful if we can like do this as a team and um, that you took ownership of that, you know, not being like, oh, well, why me? (laughs) You know, that you're just like, no, and, and willing to put in the time.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and it's uh, especially in in this kind of matrix organizations. What I uh, what I see a lot, team is not necessarily those people that are in your team, as in report to you. It's really the all the people that you work with and uh, come from across different organizations, across different Siemens companies, even um, are located everywhere in the world and so on. So right now we are facing um, six different locations, seven. <laughs> And we are we, we have to become a team so how are
0: you going about that because I think that's a really difficult one it's been uh, for me as you as when I first started here you know my understanding my premature brain understanding of team was the team you work with immediately and then you start to realize oh the team that I sit in is maybe not necessarily the person that I work with on a, on a daily mm-hmm. basis so as you say understanding that that is your 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 the team yeah. that you need to establish but and then it's so different difficult because we're scattered right we're such a huge uh global company yeah. and team members are scattered everywhere you're even dealing with like people uh, you know in different time zones yeah how do you create that feeling how do you create their and sometimes they don't yeah. they're not even reporting to you which makes it you know yeah <laughs> even more difficult because you need that spirit but without so it's like a, an intrinsic motivation that Absolutely. they need to work with you and how do
1: you how do you build that i was talking about transparency earlier and yeah. I, I i strongly believe in that um i don't hide anything from them so um maybe maybe i only hide when the the going gets really tough in the mm. headquarters and i want don't want them to be, be distracted by that so i try to protect them and safeguard them from that but otherwise um in general i would say i I try to convey uh, the big picture to them um, mm-hmm. I do my best for that I do not like this kind of uh, silo approach where we say uh, you are R&D or you're a data scientist or you are marketing you only need to know this piece no I, I really strongly believe you need to know the whole thing and you better be interested in the whole thing because if you do not have an interest in, in understanding the big picture and what kind of impact your day-to-day coding in python or in whatever language is going to make um for this organization then how can you be motivated so um this is something that um i strongly believe in i also like being informed by my superiors about what's going on strategically and that really empowers me to um run my everyday work and i try to do the same with uh, everybody i work with so it's it, uh, it's basically giving that kind of ownership to everybody and uh, making them really feel a, a, a Really important part of the big thing we are working on because everybody really is a big thing of the of the big picture Yeah, yeah. so that's um, that's one part. It's also of course some of it is very I would say just uh, Education on the different domains so bringing everybody to speak the same language to each other be that Uh, building's domain knowledge, uh, bringing the experts to bring everybody on the same page, or be that uh, algorithms, or be that uh, the uh, cybersecurity aspects that we need to look after, architecture, you name it. So um, I think um, this is also very important that everybody basically is ramped up to that same level. Um, It's not me trying to create a perfect human out of everybody. I, I love that diversity and the diversity of backgrounds they come up with, but they need to have some common, Uh, Background so that they can really speak the same language to each other So that's maybe another part that I quite strongly believe in Mm -hmm. and in general um, this kind of um, Culture of not staying stuck. So I worked with teams from really different cultures uh, ranging from um, you know American Indian European cultures there are some subtle differences there and um, Mm. there are some individuals that will feel very comfortable about speaking up when uh, something doesn't work and there will be other colleagues that will just try to always report only the positive positive. and um the culture i always grew very fond of is this culture of speaking up and not staying blocked the worst thing that happens to a team is when people start staying blocked and not reporting that they are blocked i think we can unblock anyone if we know about it and that's where the whole having that
0: safe space to speak up yes. comes into play where that is crucial
1: yes yeah I, 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 I really believe that's so important and um, you know we we save time, we save resources, we save everything by uh, basically doing that and if mm-hmm. I have a role in the team um, especially with uh, with the guys that are in my direct team, it's basically to unblock them, and I'll do everything I can for that
0: mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. well so detach allow them to to like better understand their their reaction towards certain movements uh i want to say transparency Mm -hmm. lived by you by example um and then the whole power team power uh, giving them the purpose um again creating that environment of transparency create that common ground common language from which everyone can like move forward from and then have that moving forward mentality and yeah I and, and, and i would somewhere.
1: say it's it's all this that needs to be driven by uh, some vision so of course we have the vision to become the uh, sm- to deliver this smart building of the future we uh, are creating environments that care and so on and i think all this is, is great visions um but we need to to bring break this down to our team what does that mean really for our team what's that team vision what's that team mission that we have Mm -hmm. um what do we really want to achieve and i think that's really important both uh, from an internal communication perspective so that we uh, we know what we stand for in this company but also externally because we are the message outside our organization on what for instance data analytics is gonna uh, be in the future for siemens and for our customers so I could not work myself without having a vision to work towards. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think many people are like that. So I, it's um, it's something I, in general, try to provide to everybody I work with. to So they, they know what why we are doing what we are doing. There's a What reason. am I part of? How am I contributing? How do I own right. this? And how does it feel like mine? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We, we talk about this ownership culture at Siemens, mm-hmm. which I think is great mm-hmm. as a concept. Uh, but for me this is living that ownership culture
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely i agree and so now at the current at the moment you're really trying to create that team environment so that you can uh, then build and move forward Um, is there something else that you realized during the process of of, um, the last um, two years when you're creating uh, the the software product um yourself what that in something you wanted to change or, or work on within yourself that you needed to be like more it's a tricky question yeah. right it's <laughs> a, is there something that you're like ah oh, this is something that i if i if i got this i had better hang on this i could probably mm. uh, be more efficient more resilient or right. i don't know
1: That's interesting because I was doing this uh, sort of self-assessment for a training I'm doing and I had to exactly reflect on what I should improve Mm -hmm. uh, on myself and uh, how that particular training can help me Mm -hmm. do that. There were two things that um, really stood out there. Um, One was this political savviness. Hmm. Um, So I'm very direct, I'm I'm very honest in general about what I think. it might have something to do with just my character it might have something to do with the fact that I'm kind of Latin spirit being Romanian and all um, it's not something that's very compatible always with the uh, uh, work culture um, because I think people are much more diplomatic ar- around me <laughs> than me um, so becoming more politically savvy um, certainly helps in the job mm-hmm. I- I'm very aware of that the biggest Struggle I've had with myself is um, how to find that um, right compromise, compromise in the positive sense of um, being diplomatic and politically savvy, as I said, but at the same time not stepping on my values. Yeah. So find that kind of uh, middle ground there. Um, that's something that uh, I still think uh, I need to put more energy into. I think there is a way to get there. I think. Um, at least according to some feedback I got from around I have improved to some extent but if you ask me I think there's a lot more to improve on that
0: but I find that such a difficult one
1: because sometimes
0: it feels like me in a sense to me it feels like okay am I being inauthentic in a sense I have to be political am i even being dishonest to a certain degree Mm -hmm. which
1: those are two things I have difficulty stomaching. <laughs> I fully, fully relate to that. And, and I think that's basically, um, in a way, I think it's a type of struggle that some of us go through um, in this kind of environments when we want to promote our values, we want to make that big change happen. But at the same time, we realize that what it takes to do that sometimes comes a bit in conflict with the way we are. So the way I am, I'm a very direct. I'm going to come and tell you this really sucks. And I just don't want to follow this way. And here is an alternative to that. Um, now, I think it's OK to still do that, but package it in a way that's more digestible by the other human beings around us. Um, that's something I'm, I I learned to work a bit more on. Yeah, I guess if you take it from that point
0: of view, like you're, you're basically doing the other person a favor and taking them on board a little more in a more gentle way yeah
1: exactly and, and and it's exactly coming to this what i was mentioning earlier trying to relate to what motivates them mm-hmm. Tr- trying to understand the background of why they think in a particular way mm-hmm. so that then mm-hmm. i can maybe deliver that message in a better way yeah. um it's not always easy it's not always possible sometimes we just do not have time to or energy to put into all that mm-hmm. but I, I think it's very valuable in general and i i wish Mm -hmm. myself to Mm -hmm. manage to do that more (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because i I think it helps
0: but i think that also comes with experience and understanding who's in front of you and then just being able to like oh okay this is the how how i need to communicate to this person yeah and see it as as such for me it just becomes difficult when you start maybe being too loose about that and then Mm. you're you're saying stuff just to kind of move things forward and then Mm. and then afterwards it comes by to (laughs) divide you <laughs> i to think it's
1: two. it kind of takes two things one is this aspect of putting myself in their shoes and the other aspect is that and i keep re- trying to remind myself that you sometimes really need to repeat that thing over and over mm. because um what is very obvious to you is not so obvious to your other so, uh, you know conversation partners yeah. and um, it's not about uh, them not being able to ingest your input or so it's just that they are so busy with other things. True. And um, it's okay to repeat that same message again. It's okay to show them the same picture again and again of your process, of your vision, of your whatever that is yeah. um, until they start believing in it or they start living it. So it's, it's yeah. patience in a way.
0: Yeah, that's definitely something I know I need to work on because I feel like (laughs) I've said something once and I'm very clear and then I'm like, okay, it's probably also in your number one priority in everyone's brain right now and you leave and it's like forgotten and you speak to the person again, you're like, I mentioned this. Right. And they're just like, you did? (laughs) What? (laughs) So just not expecting other people to to live life through your lenses and like keep on reinforcing whatever you need to say. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, a good one Patience It <laughs> that, takes a lot of patience to get there <laughs> yeah. I, I mean I'm not a patient person and so I, I find myself quickly being getting very frustrated when things don't fall into place immediately And and then also sometimes you know not calculating enough time into certain mm-hmm. things just because I feel like Oh, this should happen yeah and also because I'm not taking maybe the other people's perspective just mm-hmm. because I could on my terms this is how the pace of things but then in reality things happen differently is that something you face also is kind of expecting <laughs> things to happen at a faster pace and how do you deal with that
1: <laughs> maybe to some extent I mean I, I think uh, there is a bit of this uh, expectation that everybody's like me <laughs> so um and, and i don't see it necessarily negatively because um i, I think many people are like me in my team <laughs> and and i think they uh, relate to many things in the same way but at the same time it's also um, taking a step back and realizing that the uh, they might be actually very different in other ways mm-hmm. they might um, mm-hmm. prioritize certain things that i wouldn't um, they might take a different perspective and it's uh, so valuable to take that into account mm-hmm. so um it's um eliminating this kind of assumption that uh, everybody's exactly thinking like me mm-hmm. that's uh, I, I think that's that's something that i, I learned sometimes the hard way mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's something certainly that uh, I, I think is valuable in the in in the workplace, no matter what you do and how you do, and not only yeah. in the workplace, everywhere. So basically, giving yourself a little bit of time in the beginning to better understand where
0: the where the different people are coming from, and so that you can like consider that and yeah 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 yeah. I mean, it, it
1: sometimes even comes down to their values or simply personality you know some people are more uh, pragmatic some people are more romantic and if you give them a task to uh, i don't know visualize uh, their work for the next three months they're gonna come up with such different ways to do so and you have to embrace that diversity there because uh, not not everybody's come up gonna come up with a sort of gun chart to show you that maybe somebody's gonna uh, build it in a totally different way which is totally feasible but it's not according to your expectations. And that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So learning that and, and embracing that diversity, um, I think is very, very important. Where when I um, joined Siemens, most of the people I had been exposed to for the last 10 years uh, had been computer scientists or computer engineers. And uh, coming here and working in, 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 with such different stakeholders, from communications to marketing to legal to sales to, you know, all the types of roles, I had to embrace that diversity really abruptly because i was just not used to working with people that didn't think like me Mm -hmm. so it was a very very interesting learning um, one of the most valuable learnings that i got Mm -hmm. learning from how do you know when to
0: tap into this type of like say you know you have different ways of how people you know communicate how they envision the next three months to be how do you say okay this is more what i was expecting and how do you ask because essentially, it's very subjective to say, this is right, this is wrong. Sure. I mean, and so how do you kind of like?
1: Well, I think, I think it depends on, I, I, I can't really think of a general answer I can give you. It depends a lot on what we are working on. Mm. So if we are working on the functionality on, I don't know, the next ground shaking uh, functionality for a product, then i think it's really really valuable to get all those ideas in and um once you have all those ideas in it's very good to put the pragmatic pragmatism and do some concrete uh, evaluation and prioritization of that and so on mm-hmm. so go fully creative in the first part but then become pragmatic in in the second part yeah um when it comes to uh, working under pressure and getting some stuff done until the end of the week uh probably it has to be a little bit more you know with a direction and okay this is what everybody needs to work on right now so i think it depends a lot on on the type of work on the yes. time constraints mm-hmm. um, on the pressure that comes from outside sometimes we are not the only one put, ones putting the pressure mm-hmm. depends a lot mm-hmm. But i think uh, also really applies to the whole design thinking methodology oh yeah where you
0: can open up but then you need to close the diamond and just be like yeah. okay guys this is yeah i mean mm-hmm.
1: well, for example when, when when we were doing design thinking for this product it was always a matter of what's within the scope and what's outside of the scope yeah because um you cannot go with a generic product that's going to solve all the world problems and sometimes you have to have the boldness to really tell your stakeholders, look, this is really beyond our scope. That's it. Yeah. So, sorry, but you're going to have to solve that pain with something else.
0: Again, but being very yeah. transparent and yeah. not just saying maybe and then yeah. expectations. No, it's setting the right expectations. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think that taking responsibility um, for that is really, really important.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's Definitely. even with the scope of the team, sometimes we get requests that are extremely interesting and i would love to see that implemented in the company but it's not something that's in our scope no. and uh, setting the boundaries
0: that. no no so <clears throat> a question i like to i like to ask is if you could go back to the to the beginning um what would you tell your yourself <laughs> if you could go back and tell irina two four years ago what would you what would you tell her
1: that's a good one um i would tell her that it's it's a very very interesting it's an amazing world out there that's totally worth exploring um it's a grown-up's world (laughs) it's not a kid's game
0: yeah in a sense of
1: in a sense of the responsibilities you work with Mm -hmm. on the decisions that you make that have an impact on big budgets on big people on big everything yeah but i would not um, try to cut her wings uh, to make her more aware of the stuff that's coming up Mm -hmm. because i think that kind of um, ingenuity and that kind of um, lack of awareness of the mean world out there (laughs) in a way i think that's that's something that we should keep with us, um, you know, forever if possible. Um, our experiences and in general our day-to-day life changes that and um, mm. to some extent maybe it removes the courage, it gives us resilience, it gives us um, a way to fight, it teaches us to fight. But there is always this danger of lo- losing that kind of children, ch- children's mindset. And, um, I wouldn't tell her to be afraid of that of, of the world out there or you know, I would I would, yeah. I, would uh, I would let her be the way she is and uh, Drive the same way mm. not get get brainwashed about um, mm. this kind of corporate um, Lifestyle mm. and and culture in a way. I mean embracing the culture is one thing and and um, Getting brainwashed by the types of mindsets of people uh, telling you we tried this and we didn't it didn't work ten years ago I think um, that's very very dangerous So I'll let her be Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would just tell her to explore
0: So this is what's coming up Keep your mind open. Yeah, it'll all be good. And then I think also to have that um, ability to let yourself still be not be restrained by the the potential boundaries corporate culture can set yes it also really helps to have a manager when you, that where Absolutely. you know has your back because that just you know it's just like alleviates a lot of
1: exactly and and in general anxiety. i mean this is something i would remind uh that irina i don't know four years back um but i would also tell anyone i i, I tell this also to to my team there is, a, in general, this kind of imposter syndrome some of us suffer from, myself included, um, of questioning whether it's okay we're doing what we're doing or we are where we are or we deserve it or not and so on. And I think mm-hmm. um, it's, um, it's okay to some extent because it, we challenge ourselves with that and we try to become better. But at the same time, um, there is uh, some really great wisdom that I got from one of my... Uh, teammates in in my PhD who told me, Irina, when you go in front of these 100 people in a conference and you're shaking with fear because it's the first big thing you're delivering there, remember you're there for a reason. And the reason is that nobody else in the room knows better that subject than you because it's your topic. And um, they can ask all the mean questions of the world. But if you cannot answer it, then probably nobody else can. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that, keeps ringing in my brain whenever I'm afraid of those big talks, important meetings, challenging situations and so on. Um, And there's so much truth in that. Mm -hmm. I have been thrown into that or I have been given that opportunity for a reason, and it's not me being arrogant about it, it's really the way life goes. And you can challenge me, but probably if I cannot answer that, and that's really my niche thing I'm working on every day, probably either there's no answer, or I can do some more work and find an answer, maybe, and I can make you that promise. Or you shouldn't expect that answer. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think it's a matter of um, us managing those emotions with ourselves as well, Mm -hmm. and um, for me, that reduces fear. Mm -hmm. So, it it really works, and um, I I think it's based on a lot of uh, wisdom (laughs) that uh, you know this guy shared with me quite some years back mm-hmm. and it taught the young me at that time that uh, you know we, we have what, what we need believe in our, ourselves and we have what we need mm-hmm. we are there for a reason
0: yeah i love that and i love that you have that place to go to empower yourself i love i, I think that's really great Yeah, and not relying on external validation and be like, okay, I hope this meeting goes well. And if I get positive feedback only then, it's like, no, I know before. And then you walk in with a completely different presence and a different mindset.
1: You become more powerful in general, I would say. Um, That external validation is very important as well. So I I wouldn't want to undermine that, right? right? Because it's that external validation that also um, pushed me you know throughout my whole life it's from the parents it's from Mm -hmm. my um teachers it's from uh, my managers uh, it's from my family all together maybe every day Mm -hmm. so uh and and friends and you know all the close people so that is extremely important but i don't think it's enough yeah i agree that's yeah i
0: just wanted to say it can't be solely external validation yeah yeah Okay, well, I think we've reached the end of our conversation. It was really insightful. Thank you very much. And I do have one last question. <laughs> I told you about this. If um, if you could choose uh, the next person I, I could talk to, who would you who would you find interesting, uh, like an interesting per- person to listen to on a podcast regarding transformation, personal, but also in the workplace? Mm-hmm. Who would you suggest?
1: Yeah, I I think it's a great challenge that you put in front of me because uh, there are there are many people that uh, I believe um, are really driving change in our environment here, and um, I know a lot of powerful people driving change outside from my private life as well. Um, if I were to give you some continuation to what we discussed about today, um, I would recommend you also have a podcast with Philip Heim. Mm-hmm. He was the rollout manager, um, kind of working with me jointly on uh, the data center hub journey. So we were basically together from early 2017 until we launched the product last year. Um, very complimentary He can tell you maybe the story from another perspective as well, mm-hmm. um, and um, I think he he would be a great asset to your series of podcasts.
0: Okay, I'll try to him. Thank
1: you. <laughs> very welcome, and thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you about all this.
0: Oh, well, thank you very much for your time. It was really it was really um, interesting to speak to you and insightful. Thank, thank you, Helena.
1: For more inspiring
0: interviews, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast don't forget to rate and review me. I'd love to receive your feedback as well. So do comment and feel free to send me uh, your requests about who you'd like me to interview next. You can find me on Instagram at Boundaries to solve or just drop me a message on LinkedIn. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you. This is Helena and you've been listening to Where Boundaries to Solve.